between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this mass movement, destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow, it is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Hello, geeks. Well, recently I had the chance to catch up with one of my favourite writers, the sort of genre author extraordinaire, comic book writer in his own right, and absolutely all-round top chap who also can get together with Mike Mignola to write Hellboy and stories within the Hellboy universe and Lord Baltimore every now and then, Christopher Golden. Uh, Christopher's got a new book out called All Hallows. It's published by Titan. And if you like Stephen King and if you like character-driven, really well-written incredibly well plotted sort of horror that's based in the in, in the latter half of the 20th century then you need to read this book um and i wanted to catch up with chris to ask him all about his writing process the new novel what's on the horizon hellboy and a load more and he was absolutely accommodating and was wonderful to talk to so here's christopher golden talking about his new book all hallows published by titan books uh take it away chris Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm very well. This is an absolute pleasure for me. We've actually spoken once before about 10 years ago. Okay. About uh, Baltimore. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is kind of... So, All Hallows, your new novel. Yes, sir. Uh, I haven't read yet because my copy arrived this morning because of the British British Mail. So... Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, where the idea came from? Because it's got, so it's got the 80s feel to it, I believe. Yeah, it's set in the 1980s. So um, I, think, I think what happened was that um, I'd written a number of books in a row that were um, much more sort of focused on the horror thriller aspect of things mm-hmm. and also much more focused on fewer characters. Um, and there's something I really love about sort of the ensemble and you can sort of take a whole group of people and kind of weave their stories together. Um, And I also think that, you know, during COVID um, I had written and released a book. I'd started it sort of at the beginning of it that had a a plague storyline called red hands. Um, And then I wrote, wrote a bones, which was sort of set remotely in Siberia and was, didn't have anything to do with anything. Um, and I was just sort of in the mood for what I would consider horror comfort food. Uh, okay. And that for me is like the eighties Halloween. Uh, and I just thought I wanted to write a story about a, a neighborhood and kids trick or treating and a, a, uh, um, a terrible evil that sort of infiltrates the neighborhood at a time when, you know, the adults aren't really paying that much attention to what the kids are up to. Right. And also, since all the kids are in costume, you never know who's really behind the mask. Um, and so, the, yeah, all of those things sort of contributed to me wanting to do something that would really have the sort of texture and atmosphere uh, and sort of chill that I remember having when I was a kid on Halloween. Okay, so, I mean, it, it, it seems to be like... a, a, a 
massively character-driven piece in that because it's an ensemble thing, you have to have clearly defined, clearly authored characters. And if I think it's difficult to do that if you haven't come from the 80s. So, or yeah, lived I that period know. of time. I mean, I think that, I think it might be difficult to really get the right sense of it. Mm. Um, certainly, I think that somebody who's 30 years younger than I am, I'm 56. So I think somebody who's 30 years younger than I am could easily write a novel set in the 80s and come up with great character interactions and relationships but i do think that um you know same thing with if i had tried to write something said in the 60s there is a level of authenticity that's slightly out of reach if it's not familiar enough to you uh, and so for me there's a lot of you know uh, there are a lot of things that are from my life and my experience uh in this story um you know, and again, there's a there's a there's an element of I mean, yes, great that there are no cell phones. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, there's also this very different parenting style that was uh, yeah. part of being a latchkey kid, part of being a kid who, you know, you you got off the school bus, you went home, your parents weren't there. They were at work. You did whatever the hell you wanted to whenever the hell you wanted to do it. Uh, you know, as long as you're home for dinner, it didn't matter uh, if you could. After dinner, you'd go off to your friend's house, you said, but that didn't mean your parents knew where you were. Um, and I think that there's a um, there's a, a sense of freedom and danger that comes with that era. Um, yeah. And, and also this sense of like, th- that the kids are not immediately thinking, let me get my parents to solve this. Yeah. It's a sort of Gen X authenticity. Because I mean, I'm from the same generation you are, so yes. I, I'm yeah. used to. We have the door key, you know, let yourself in, cook yourself dinner, do whatever you're going to do, and we'll see you when we get home from work. And that's it. Right. so you have this sort of feral attitude where we, I think, we learn to cope for ourselves. We found our own amusement as well, um, which yeah. I was going to ask you about because was that how you found writing? Because you, you we have what we had all that time to kill, so we sort of filled our time with comics and books and yeah i mean i'm not sure that i i found writing that way i certainly found books i you know i don't know i always um i just always gravitated toward um books and stories and comics and and monster movies and things like that but i do think there was more time to imagine yeah than to because when we weren't spending all our time in this, you know, in my, in my cell phone, there was more time for your imagination to sort of get off the leash. Right. Um, as far as writing is concerned, I think that it's just that um, I enjoy reading so much and, and uh, I would start to think of, you know, scenarios and, and that made me want to write them down. So um, I guess I started writing for real when I was about, 16 um uh, i dabbled earlier but 16 17 uh which is later than a lot of writers start um and i i didn't start taking it seriously until i was probably 21 okay so but because one thing that always struck me about you is you never sort of seem to tell the same story twice apart from like the media tie-ins yeah there's 
a huge disparity in your work. And to my mind, that's really uncommon for writers because you have stories to tell rather than franchises to build or worlds to build. You, you, you're a storyteller, an old-fashioned storyteller. And that's a rare thing these days. Thank you. Thanks, man. I, you know, um, I mean, I think sometimes I do, uh, I repeat themes sometimes mm. on purpose. Um, but even, for instance, when I wrote my first novel of Saints and Shadows, um, that whole series with Peter Octavian as the main character, one of the things I tried to do, there are seven of them, uh, eventually there were seven of them, is I tried to make the ending of each book significant enough that I couldn't just do the same thing in the next yeah. one. In other words, I tried to make the ending of each one change the world of the story so much that it it couldn't just be rehashing what came before. Um and that's, you know, um, that was intentional because it's very easy to fall into that pattern of just sort of, right. you know, comfort, comfortably repeating yourself, which is also comforting for readers uh, in some some ways. Um, but, yeah, I also, you know, there are so many things I wanted to do that I um, I just was like, oh, I want to tell a story like this or about this. And mm. um, But you're right also that when I finish one thing, when I finished All Hallows, the last thing I well, I loved doing it, but the last thing I wanted to do was to do that again. Right. So, you know? I mean, do the stories pop in there sort of fully formed, or is it just an initial spark, an idea? You see something that goes, oh, that would be. Yeah. Great... I mean, every book is different um, as to how it comes together. Uh, every book and comic and everything, it just comes together differently. A lot of times it's just a nugget of an idea. Sometimes it's, that I have, uh, you know, like I have a folder of ideas, but most of them are sort of half-baked or or not, or raw, you know. There's right. like, and sometimes what happens is I'll I'll come upon something and I'll, I'll realize, oh, you know, if I take this thing and add this and this and this, I can have a whole novel. Right. Um, so uh, sometimes that's really nice because you get to use a bunch of different things at the same time. Um, the book I just started, which I, um, I can't really say anything about even the title, um, <laughs> is, uh, is a really interesting one because it really did start with just the core, um, concept. And now I've got to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I, how, how can I dive deeply into these characters and, and make their story engaging and interesting enough uh, to carry the book until the evil stuff really starts to kick off. And, you know, there are a lot of writers now that don't even wait. They just, you know, start writing in. And, and that's fine, but I'm, um, I don't know, it's interesting. I see reviews and comments and things like that. And I, for the same book, I'll have people say, oh, there's, uh, you know, it drags at the beginning. Like there's, uh, there's too much like sort of uh, buildup too much uh, character like interaction and backstory. And then I have other people read the same book and say the exact opposite. There's not enough characterization in here. It, uh, it goes, it kicks off too fast and all this stuff. So you just have to kind of do what instinct tells you is right. But it's that individualization of anything that you, anybody, everybody's going to interpret a work differently anyway. So, right. um, 
I guess one of the things with writers is that, you know, it's about you have to have a thick skin, I guess, because there's, you're going to get criticism as well as praise. So, yeah. And again, you just, you just have to sort of resign yourself to the knowledge that your job isn't to please everyone. <laughs> you know, but, I mean, this is the, the, your job is to tell a story um, and, and hope people like it uh, and, you know, try to get somebody to pay you for it. That's basically it, you know. <laughs> For the people you, I mean, you do have sort of rabid fans. You know, your, your fans sort of stick with you. They're not fly by night fans to say, oh, we'll, I'll dip into one book here, I'll dip into one book there. So it's stylistically, it's something you do as a storyteller that brings us back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, you like to think that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I think for all writers, anybody, any reader who, uh, who would consider themselves a faithful reader or a loyal reader. Um, they're there because they are already on board with the way you approach telling stories. Right. right? I mean, it's, yeah. so that's the, that's the thing. And I'm um, so like, I haven't changed my, I, my writing has changed over the years, hopefully for the better, but I haven't changed my attitude toward the storytelling. If that makes sense. No, I mean, perfect. Sense. I mean, so the last evolved. few, yeah, I mean, the last few novels, you know, uh, there have been a lot of people who've never read me before, who've come on board, who are reading other things, and then there are people who had been reading me for a while, who are, you know, oh, you know, these this this book is the best one yet, or or this one, and then of course there are people who say the opposite, but the the point is that, um, if you are focused on finding stories that entertain you to tell mm-hmm. then in telling them you're going to entertain those people who are are ready for them does that make sense no it makes perfect sense yeah so one of the things that you know it, it's a crazy question how did you and mike mignola meet how did you start writing with mike because it seems um, like he already had a formed universe then you come in and you change it but you change it sort of for the better? Well, um, Mike and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, when I was, uh, it was, I guess it was the early nineties. It was right when the first Hellboy came out. Um, I was working, um, freelancing for a, uh, a New York pop culture magazine called flux. Right. Um, which didn't last very long, but I, I did a bunch of writing for them. And one of the things I did is I interviewed Mike. Right. Um, shortly after the very first ep- uh, issue of Hellboy came out or right before it came out or something like that. Um, and at some point, you know, we got along very well during the interview. And at some point I said, you know, uh, back in the seventies, Marvel comics used to publish these black and white horror magazines and they would have fiction in the back of the magazine. I said, you know, you should do, you should have uh, prose Hellboy. In the next mini series, you should have backups that are prose Hellboy stories. And Mike said uh, quickly, uh, like catching on, I suppose you'd want to write them uh, (laughs) because I had told him I had a novel coming out. Right. Um, And of course I said, well, most importantly, and this was true. I said, most importantly, I'd like to read them. But of course, if there were an opportunity to write them, I would be, you know, 
So he wanted to read my novel. So I sent him the novel and he read the novel and he said, Hey, he really liked it. And he said, I, um, I don't want to do prose backups, but, uh, but if you want to write a Hellboy story, why don't we do a Hellboy novel? And that's how we first started working together. And that was the lost army. And that I think came out in, I think next year, it might be 30 years from the, I can't remember. No, 96. I think it came out. Yeah. yeah so, so 27 years ago now. Yeah. Um, but we first talked about it in probably 93 or 94. Um, so yeah. So that's how we first started working together. And, and then it's just been, um, you know, a friendship and a collaboration that developed over many years. Um, and I think part of it is because I, um, listen, I mean, Mike is one of the greatest artists who has ever worked in comics, but he's also an extraordinary artist aside from all of that. Um, but also I just love his imagination and the way his mind works and the freedom that comes along with the way that his mind works. Uh, and his vast knowledge of folklore and all of that. I really admire all of that. Um, and I think that after so many conversations over the years, we built up a certain level of trust. Um, partly because I think that uh, I have always sort of pushed him to be more focused on the business of what he does, right. which he doesn't <laughs> care about at all. <laughs> um, and uh so, you know, not for my own benefit for, you know, because I'm like, why are you, you know, why you're basically giving handing money away by not doing X, Y, Z. And he'd always be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we just have had a, we'd have, we've had a really good relationship over the years and I, I really admire him and, um, uh, and I admire his, uh, the, authenticity of his goals i guess is what right. i want to say so i mean you know? is, is it harder writing for an already developed sort of universe and world like like hellboy or, or buffy because you've got buffy as well and you've also been superhero times is it more difficult to, to make your way into there as a writer and, and sort of work with already established characters i mean sometimes be- yes and sometimes no right uh, or or i should say there are things about it that are harder um, just like collaborating is always harder than writing it by yourself. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm starting this new novel and when I'm starting the new novel, it's sort of like, and I, this makes me sound way too, um, stuck up, which I'm not trying to, but you know, it's basically like when you're a sculptor and you start with a block of granite, you know, right. or clay, like if, this particular novel that I'm starting now, I don't really have much of an outline for. I'm going to make one, but I'm going to first, I'm going to write the first three or four chapters and then figure out what the rest of it is going to be. Um, and so writing like that is very hard, um, but it's also really rewarding because then you let your imagination put its demands on what your story is going to be before you sit down and mechanically work out the beats of it. Right. Um, and so when you're working in somebody else's world, you kind of have to work out the beats. You kind of have to do that. And you have to make sure that you understand the property and, and the, 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 the people who own the property and what their goals are and all of that. Um, so, uh, so it, again, like, you know, 
I guess what I'm saying is both of them are work. They're just different kinds of work, if that makes right. sense. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, something like All Hallows, a book like All Hallows, is is perfect screen for it. I mean, why haven't already sold the idea to Netflix? I mean, you might have done it. I don't know. Because um, it, it just seems like it's tailor-made for their target audience. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we will get uh, a film or a television show out of it. Um, but um, you know, when I was in college, my intention, even in high school, my intention was to go to film school. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I thought in high school, I thought about going, but then I thought, well, let me get. It was too risky, so I said, let me get my the best education I can get as an undergraduate to get my mm-hmm. regular degree, and then I would go on in a, for a graduate degree to film school. But by the time I finished, uh, I wasn't really interested in doing that anymore. I wanted to sort of start, and I had started my first novel at that point. Um, so I've always been interested in film and television. I pursued certain things. Um, you, you may be aware I wrote the, well, with Mike, I wrote the new Hellboy movie. Is this, um, is this, is this the new reboot that's being made at the moment? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to ask you about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also did, uh, Amber Benson and I co-wrote and co-directed this new Buffy the Vampire Slayer sequel audio drama, okay, um, which we announced last week. Um, and so th- there are things in the offing, um, but uh, but the other thing is that when you're writing a novel or a short story, you only have yourself to answer to, right? So you get to do it exactly the way you want to do it. And once you start to try to develop something for film or television. There are, you know, 20 other people who get to have a say. Um, and all of a sudden it becomes much less fun. Because <laughs> other people are, other people are ha- having a hand in what you're trying to build and then right. pushing you in a thousand different directions at the same time. Right. So you mentioned the Hellboy film. Is there much pressure on you and Mike together with, uh, with the film? Because, you know, I think a lot of people see Ron Perlman as being the definitive Hellboy. And then David Harbour comes in for the reboot, and it's not as successful, even though it's closer to the actual source story. Um, yeah, on, listen, on I have to say, I, you know, I've been I've been very upfront about the the David Harbour version, mm-hmm. um, in that you know I did a draft or two of the script, um, not the first draft. I was brought in and I did a draft or two, and then um, they wanted more revisions and I was not available. Um, and so they went back to Andy Cosby who'd written the first draft. I like Andy. I've known him for a long time. He's a very talented writer. And the one thing I keep repeating and that I want people to know is the script that they shot from is actually really good. It's a good film. Don't get me wrong. It's a really, really I, good film. I don't think it's a successful film. I don't mean financially successful. I mean, as yeah. a film, I don't feel as successful. I, I think it was edited really poorly. I think that the music choices that they make made were very poor. I think that the first trailer that they did was uh, ill-advised. Um, and so, uh, you know, I thought, I thought the script was really good. I thought David Harbour was very good. Um, but there are so- moments when you watch that film as a Hellboy fan. When you see things on screen that you've read in the books and you go, <gasps> yeah, it's fine. And it just take, it takes your breath away. And it might not work as a whole, but it's those moments 
of inspiration, those moments with the you the story you see on screen that you want to see on screen, and it becomes this is real, this is actually real, and somebody else is going to get to experience what I read right firsthand and be sucked into this universe. Well, I haven't seen anything from the Crooked Man yet, but I know right. Mike seen a lot of the dailies and footage and stuff like that, and I know that he is uh more uh more at ease with right the tone of it than he's ever been um and apparently looks great uh and you know uh we did the the script um the the director Brian Taylor did his own pass on the script which replaces several big chunks with with other things and I can't talk about no, no, obviously, yeah. why yeah. certain things were were replaced. Some of them were budgetary. Some of them were story. Um, but as I understand it, <laughs> you know, you know, most of what we did is still there. And uh, and I can say that certainly what we did is very faithful to the Crooked Man comic. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm really hopeful and really excited that what we're going to see when it comes out is something that that is the folk horror hellboy story that we've been waiting for well i got my fingers crossed and i think you know knowing how much you're micro in control of the actual script um hmm. yeah that's that's we were, we were in control of it until, <laughs> it, <laughs> until yeah. and, and what happens to it now uh you know i mean i have i do have really high hopes based on mm-hmm. conversations with mike about what he has seen um, I'm really hopeful. Um, so uh, we'll we'll see. So as on Hellboy, what's your next foray for what the comics going to be? Because you you must have had offers to write your own stuff from from a like dark horse or from Marvel at, the, at this moment in time. You know, um, funnily enough, I've I, you know I've written for Marvel mm. uh, not for many years, but I've written for Marvel uh, a number of times when I was younger, and I didn't have you know, I didn't really have the opportunity to do something that I had any control over. Um, and so I did some one shots and things like that, that I still really like, but, um, and i did a couple things for DC. I wrote for a lot of companies back in the nineties, um, and early two thousands, but, um, but for years I had stopped even attempting to try to do anything in the comic space. And it was only when I started to really get involved with, Mike and doing these things with Mike that I started to do more comics. Um, I do have more coming with Mike. Um, there's more Hellboy and Love coming. There's more Frankenstein New World coming um, and some other stuff. But also uh, Tim Lebin and I have a brand new creator-owned comic series together called Mortal Terror. Okay. Um, written, excuse me, that's drawn by Peter Bergting who's the artist on Frankenstein New World and also worked on Baltimore and Joe Golem. There's also more Lady Baltimore coming. Um, and so uh, Mortal Terror is a creator-owned series. Uh, uh, I guess you'd call it an alternate history. But the basic gist of Mortal Terror is that it's Dracula only inverted. Uh, it's a world where many centuries ago uh, uh vampires sort of overran the world uh, and 
now there's a world in which vampires are civilization and uh, the, the vampires live in, in their own sort of society and their myth, their legends are about mortals uh, which terrify them. That's their boogeyman is that, that these, these things that most people don't believe exist, uh, but the stories are about mortals because if they bite you, your heart will begin to beat. Uh, oh. and that is, that is the top, the, the clock ticking down the, the hours of your, the remainder of your life. So that instead of being immortal, you, you will become begin mortal. to die. Okay. Slowly. Um, and uh, and what we have is we have a, a, a situation where in London, Jonathan Harker and Lucy Westenra and and uh, Mina Murray and uh, and Renfield and all, they're all vampires. Uh, and Dracula is the leader of a small band of mortals uh, who are trying to sort of undermine vampire civilization. Um, and uh, and yeah, and that's drawn by Peter. That there's an alternate cover for the first issue by Mike Mignola, and I think the first issue comes out in November. Who's who's publishing? From Dark Horse. No, Dark Horse. Yeah, oh, that's going to be good. That is good because I mean, there are so like Frankenstein New World was a, was just a revelation because it took a, an established idea and sort of inverted it and made it work differently. So it's Hellboy, Hell, Hellboy Universe. But it's nothing to do with Hellboy at the same time. Yeah. And it, that was just, well, so if, if it's, this is why I like comic book. And I'm going to blow smoke with your backside because you don't do what people expect you to do. You don't follow the norm. There's no, so this is how comics work. You go, nah, comics can do this as well. And that's, this is the same thing with your fiction. You expect characters to do or behave in a certain way. And you go, no, that's not the way they're going to behave because that's not how people behave. And it's, it's all like capturing a real world mindset, but in a fantastical reality. Yeah. Well, that's, and again, that's one of the reasons why Frank, uh, Hellboy in Love is called Hellboy in Love. Yeah. Is because, um, I wanted to just hang that flag right out there, you right. know, um, and Mike, Mike was very dubious for a long time about calling it Hellboy in Love. Um, uh, he knew what the story was. He knew that that's what the story was. But uh, I said, Mike, no, people are going to really like it because it tells them right up front, uh, this is a different kind of Hellboy story. It's yeah. still big adventures. It's still um, horror. It's still got all of the stuff you love about Hellboy. It's just more fun um, in some, you know, where it's more lighthearted right. uh, than a lot, a lot of the stuff because the later Hellboy stuff is very dark. And so yeah. we wanted to say right from the start, this is just going to be uh, more lighthearted. And um, and so we get into, you know, darker stuff, obviously. Um, but uh, but I just had so much fun. And so finally, I think when he um, when he agreed to call it that and he started to see pages um, from Matt Smith and and all that stuff, he was. Um, I think he was really glad we did because it, he liked the fact that it sort of separated out um, our goals right. for, for that series but compared to the other stuff The you know, the sort of the stuff that Chris Roberson does in um, the Hellboy and the VPRD stuff is very, I love it all. Chris is a terrific writer, <clears throat> very historical and um, very sober 
you know, that's maybe a strange word for it, but I think of it that way, you know? Right. Um, and uh, it's really fun, but it, but, but I just wanted to have more goofy shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. let's, let's sort of tie this up. We'll go back to all hallows because this is why we're here. It's time to sell the book. As a writer, sell the book to your audience and anybody who might not know you as a writer. Because I mean, I, I can do, I can sell it to everybody. I'll just say, it's Chris Golden. You've got to read this book and the story. Because he's one of, he's one of the 10 writers that make the world go out at the moment. I mean, but how, I, I, I think you're on drugs, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no. To me, I have a very sort of definitive taste. So I will read anything you put out. Um, I appreciate that. But at the same time, I love writers like Richard K. Morgan. So I have a very eclectic taste, but you fill that niche and that part of what I need to get from literature. So I can sell you as much as I want, but I want you to sell your work to everybody from your perspective. I mean, All Hallows specifically? All Hallows, we'll start with All Hallows or any, any of your I works. Mean, you know, look, to me, uh, all Hallows hits that sweet spot between um, the sweet spot that we miss from childhood, where uh, uh, where everything felt a little dangerous, where even if you if you stepped out onto your backyard uh, or or your your back garden, you would say right. Um, if you stepped out into the dark at night and your parents were not there and all that, anything was possible. Right. Um, and so it was both scary, but delicious at the same time. Uh, <clears throat> and I think that um, All Hallows has that quality, but also is a story about um, adult concerns and family and the, and the, the loss of trust and, um, and grief and all of that stuff. So it sort of balances uh, all of that out. Um, so I always try to, I try to layer the sort of frightening or the fun stuff with real human concerns and the things that we all experience so that we can, uh, we can have them be therapy for all of us at the same time. <laughs> we can experience it all together. That is absolutely brilliant, sir. I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this time, folks. So don't forget, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Christopher Golden. And don't forget to check out All Hallows, which you can buy from all good bookshops and Jeff Bezos' Evil Empire Amazon now. That's All Hallows by Christopher Golden. Make sure you read it because it is absolutely incredible. So, uh, ta-ta, I'll see you next time.